Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and joining me, as always, is Jasmine Smith. Jasmine, how are you today? I'm doing well, Robert. How are you? I'm doing great because we just got out of our interview with Representative Pamela Stevenson, and she is awesome. Yeah. We had a ton of fun, both on the actual thing that you all are going to get to hear and off. Uh, she is a very passionate, very visionary person. You know, she's in the seat that Charles Booker held for one term. And Charles uh, is destined for big, great things. Uh, and he's running for Senate now, most likely. Um, but I think Representative Stevenson is just like perfect as a state legislator. You know what I mean? Like, you'll hear it in the interview, but I think she's just like exactly what you want in a state legislator because she talked about getting things done, uh, working across the aisle to get things accomplished. Uh, talking to people, having conversations, building relationships. And, you know, when I think about a state legislator, I think that's what I want. Uh, So I think she's in the perfect place, and I just love talking to her. Yeah, I mean, I think she could do anything she wanted to do, but I'm glad that we have those kinds of people in that role. Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, I hope she does cool and amazing things, Uh, you know, whatever she wants to do. Uh, but I do think she's she's doing really amazing things in the job she has right now. And I'm really glad to be able to share that interview with you guys. So we have that to share with you for sure. Uh, but we have lots of other things to get to. Before that, I'm going to talk a little bit about a new controversy that started in Moorhead. that has been going on for a few weeks now. going to catch everybody up there. We're going to talk about the Derby Week protests uh, and, and things that have gone on in Louisville related to uh, the protest of, of you know the racial justice and social inequality that have been going on. Uh, in Louisville for more than a year now. And uh, we're going to do a COVID update and we have lots of quick hits to get to. So without any further ado, uh, let's talk about uh, the North Fork evictions. So Jasmine, there's been a story brewing up in Rowan County for several weeks. Uh, Residents of a trailer park right off the I-64 exit in Moorhead are being evicted. Uh, I think they have the opportunity to like apply for $1,000 in relocation costs, but mostly they're just being evicted to make way for other developments. Specifically, I think that it's a shopping mall that's going to go there. So this development is being done by the Fraley Commercial Properties, which is the group that created the summit in Lexington, if you're familiar with that. Uh, And the most controversial part of the deal, well, one of the most controversial parts of the deal, is that the development is being done with the help of a TIF. So Jasmine, were you aware of this situation before this week? A little bit. I think... The big story that I heard from Rowan County more than this one was about the new roundabout, but I have heard about this story as well. Oh man, that roundabout. Great videos. Great. (laughs) Uh, Anyways. Yes. But this is, this is a big deal that has a big impact on people's lives. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And and it's kind of crazy. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about how the, how the story has evolved over the past few weeks in in a, a little bit. So, uh, we did want to talk about the TIF portion of this. We've talked about TIF several times. You know, we had a whole show about the Louisville Yum Center, uh, which exists because of a TIF. State legislators during this legislative session were trying to create a West End TIF to spur development in West Louisville. But this specific TIF is being set up between Moorhead, Rowan County, the city, yeah, the city of Moorhead, Rowan County, and the developer. Essentially, it's $11 million in tax incentives or tax incremental financing. Um, over the next 30 years. That's that that's the total value of the deal is $11 million over 30 years. The developer said that this was his first development using a TIF and that the development wouldn't really work without the TIF. So uh, without the government stepping in to kind of make this deal work, um, these people would still have their homes. Uh, and instead, they're all being evicted to make way for a shopping mall next to the interstate. So Linda Blackford uh, who is really key to this story, I think, in addition, uh, like beyond just the people who are on the ground organizing these people who obviously have the biggest role in all of this. Linda Blackford is a journalist who was the first person to write about the issue that I really read. She quoted a, a mm-hmm. former uh, deputy uh, state budget director during the Bevin administration. So not like the most liberal minded of per- people. And he said that Kentucky's TIF program is out of control. That was his comment about this specific project. I mean, I guess, you know, this is kind of, uh, the the reasoning for it is kind of that, you know, it's there right off the interstate in Moorhead. And Jasmine, are you familiar with that interstate or that exit at all? 
Not really, no. Yeah, I'm trying to gauge how familiar people are with that because this is actually a pretty important exit in my life because, like, it's two-thirds of the way to Ashland. (laughs) Yeah, like, I have gotten off at that exit before, but it's maybe, like, once, so I I don't know it well. With the the baby and before that with the dog, which I think you you took your dog to Eastern Kentucky recently and it was an adventure. Um, (laughs) Yeah, it... The car rides didn't go great. <laughs> yeah, um, I take my dog, who's like maybe a quarter the size of your dog at at most. Um, I do take her on uh, trips to see my in-laws and trips to Ashland a lot. And, and that's actually that exit is about two thirds of the way there. And we often stop in like a gas station to like walk around a little bit or whatever. So like this is an exit that I actually know pretty well. And, you know, in the exit, all, three out of four corners are pretty built up. And this fourth one is a trailer park. And that's where a lot of people live. So that's obviously why they saw the opportunity um, in a lot of these places. The roads are where the development happens. Uh, where people get off the interstate is where they will stop. And so this is really valuable real estate to somebody. And I guess they no longer want to be using it for homes. So that's essentially why this specific spot is being developed and what it looks like. So after this was discovered, which uh, one of the crazy twists in the story is it wasn't even really announced to uh, like the people who live there. And somebody like heard about it from a city council meeting where they just kind of voted on it without really even informing the people that live there. And this group called Justice for North Fork, uh, they popped up after this issue was discovered and uh, work from the activists got the attention of Miss Blackford of the Herald Leader. She wrote a column about it. Then Ben Carter of the Kentucky Equal Justice Center and the owner of the Smoketown building where we record most of the time. Uh, he uh, got involved. He wrote a, a letter to the mayor and the city council in Moorhead. And I think he was actually there today um, doing like a live stream type deal. So the people have started to get involved in this issue across the state. Meanwhile, plenty of the people who are actually in and around Moorhead and Rowan County and a lot of the residents there have been rallying in support of the North Fork residents. And this has really turned into an issue, I think, with a lot of statewide attention. And I think that, you know, it's on a lot of people's radars at this point. And and a lot of people are are starting to do some work on it. So at the end of the day, another thing that I think is just, I mean, on one level, like very tragic, is that all the residents really want out of this whole situation is more time to figure out their next steps and more money for the relocation. Like I said at the beginning, I think they were offered like $1,000, which to pick up your entire life and move and be forced to do that, you know, uh, I think they probably deserve more than that. Um, so, you know, I think one of the, they were able to kind of like set aside their objections to being moved away from their homes. Like that's not even what they're saying. They're not even saying like, let us stay. That's not the demands of these people. Their demands are like, accommodate us a little bit more if you're going to make mm-hmm. us all move away you know which i think is like very gracious and un- like the- <laughs> i don't think that a developer has earned that graciousness but those people for whatever reason whether it be just like they don't think that they can win or you know whatever um they that that's all that they're asking for and and that's that's another piece of this uh as of today uh which we are after the original deadline which i think was april the 30th that these people were supposed to be uh, moved away. As of today, everybody's still there. I don't think anybody has been forcibly removed or evicted. I think some people have started the process of moving. But apparently, I texted Ben earlier this morning, and he said that there hadn't been much contact between the city council or the developer uh, and the activists and residents of North Fork. So the two sides haven't really haven't really been in communication much lately. Part of my own interpretation of this is that it got a lot more controversial than anybody imagined it being, which I don't understand why. I mean, in the same way that the Breonna Taylor issue has like put into relief issues that a lot of people in West Louisville knew about forever, uh, and, and maybe we were, ign- or maybe me, not you, Jasmine, as a public defender, but me as like a data scientist, were probably a little bit more ignorant of. Like, I think maybe this issue will put into relief some of the injustices uh, that have been going on a lot around land use, which is a whole different issue, but, but you know, still, mm-hmm. still bad in Eastern Kentucky, which is that, like, people just get away with this kind of stuff all the time and just move people off of the place where they're living and develop the land out from under them. So, you know, uh, the, I think that the folks in Moorhead and the leadership and the government were not expecting this to be a big issue, and it has really turned into one, and they're adjusting to having to deal with that. So that's where they're at. Uh, 
One thing that I did want to highlight is that if you're listening to this before Friday, uh, which is going to be the 7th, they're having like a solidarity call. I think it's on like a Zoom uh, in their Facebook. If you just search Justice for North Fork, you can see that there. So if you'd like to go to that, you can check that out there as well. So I uh, wanted to at least bring everybody's attention to this. It uh, touches a lot of things that you know we talk about on the show a lot, including like uh, TIFFs and general bad governance <laughs> and all kinds of things that we, we talk about here a lot. So, um, you know, this is still an open issue and I certainly hope uh, for a good outcome for the folks that, you know, live there currently. And I think this is one of those issues that like, really affects both urban and rural communities because like this is also something that happens in like downtown Louisville in the West end of Louisville. So I think it's an issue that there, there's some commonality there and $1,000 for relocation is is really nothing. So I hope at the very least they they get something much better than that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it's just basically peanuts. It's very sad. You know, we use the word like gentrification a lot for, for like urban areas. And that's kind of a loaded term. And I don't really know if it's the exact same thing, but it feels very similar in terms of like land, you know, renters being forcibly removed from their homes. Uh, in order to make way for better, quote unquote, development uh, in the space where they had been living. Feels a lot like that. Uh, and yeah, this is a big, big example of that. So yeah, there's that issue. Um, Jasmine, what happened over Derby with police and protesting? There's kind of a, a few different things here that are all like Louisville related, but different issues. So first is the the valets demonstration. So Last week, we talked about how Churchill Downs Valets had not had a new contract since November and had been working without a new contract. And they were given authorization for a potential strike. And then after that happened, Churchill Downs clerks, those are the ones who take your bets at the windows, uh, they issued a statement saying that they would stand with the valets if they chose to strike. So that made it an even bigger deal, I think. Like, if you have the people who are, like, leading the horses from their stables and the clerks who take your money, that could really disrupt Derby if you don't have those people. Right. So, on Friday evening, the Valets Union issued a statement saying that the Valets were making a selfless decision to put the event and the entire community above themselves and that they would, would work on Derby Day. Um, so Derby went off without a hitch. And hopefully, I don't know, hopefully because of that sacrifice, maybe they will get what they want, which is a pretty small raise and um, asking for, you know, like minimum staffing essentially. So yeah. I, I wish that they had been able to come to an agreement before this happened, but it, it definitely was selfless of them to make sure that the derby happened. Yeah, it's this is a tough one. Uh, I, I still don't really know how to feel because it was very clear that, you know, they, they weren't going to get what they wanted before derby. Uh, but, you know, derby was going ahead with them working. So I don't know if if we should consider that a win by ownership uh, or if we should consider this like just a selfless move by the valets um you know i i don't know i i think it's yet to be determined because i think we haven't seen the end of this issue i certainly hope that they do get what they're asking for soon yeah um and then we also have to talk about the brianna taylor and racial justice protests as well um so this year on derby a small group of people protested outside of churchill downs though it was a much smaller group than last year's september derby protest um when we had the September Derby, um, national people like Until Freedom came to Louisville to protest. Um, but this was definitely like a smaller group. There was also like a family-friendly protest during the day in Tyler Park on Derby Day. And then several groups such as Black Lives Matter Louisville and Black Market Kentucky also commissioned a banner to fly over Churchill Downs that said, protect black women, divest from police. So after... Derby, the group of, it was, I think, between 50 and 100 people or so marched in the Highlands and police blocked off Bargetown Road and protesters were marching down the sidewalk. But around eight o'clock, police were chasing several people on foot from the Mark's Feed Store parking lot. 
Um, and they ended up arresting three people. So I talked about this last week, whenever there was a protest where a few people got arrested, like, I'm not really sure like what they were doing because like they weren't in the streets, they were on the sidewalks. So I don't really know what led to a foot chase and like, instead of like leaving people be, I don't know what they did. Um, it's like both weeks we've talked about this and it's been three people that got arrested mm-hmm. and the march was able to continue. And it's just, it's an odd, is that just going to happen forever now? They're just going to like pick three people and chase Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's like, hey, this is your warning. We're going to arrest these people. If you get too crazy, I, I really don't understand. Then the other thing from the protests in the Highlands, there were also videos from the evening, I think shot by Hayes Gardner of the Courier Journal, um, that showed an older white man pulling out a pistol on protesters in front of La Chasse, a French restaurant. Yeah. And like you can see a server at the restaurant, like begging people to like keep it moving, and other protesters are like, let's keep it moving, let's not engage with them. Um, and so they eventually did, but it, I don't know what caused the situation. Um, that's certainly really scary. <laughs> yeah. That a guy just pulled out his pistol at the restaurant. I mean, when I, somebody like showed me the picture or I might've seen it on social media or something and they were like, look at this. They didn't give any context. And I thought that I looked like the guy was holding a cigar at first, but then I looked a little closer and I was like, no, that guy's pointing a pistol at people. Yeah. It's a, it's a tiny little handgun. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah. And, and that's really scary. You know, it is. Uh, I. It's Derby Day, so you have a little bit of a different clientele at restaurants than you would on like a normal Saturday. I feel like. Um, mm-hmm. So hopefully, you know that isn't repeated week after week. But yeah, definitely a very scary situation there. But only three people got arrested. You know, still unclear why to me. I wish that was zero people. Um, but that's what happened over Derby weekend with protests. Um, but a few other like Brianna Taylor related news pieces. Um, Sergeant Mattingly is retiring from LMPD. Uh, he put in enough years to receive his full pension. He was, he was the last police officer left on the force after Brianna Taylor was killed. That was like on the ground during the raid. And then the officer who sought the search warrant, I, you know, I know it's like annoying and I hate that he like got a platform and a book deal and everything, but I, I would rather him be doing that than like policing our community. Um, so that's probably for the better. Um, but a lot of times like officers retire from one force and they go work for another. Um, so I don't know if he, he'll do that or he may just focus on his like author career now it seems more likely that he'll become like a, a conservative celebrity uh, like yeah speaking to her type deal which you know I, I i appreciate your perspective there jasmine that it's better for him to do that than to have a gun and a nightstick and be been be policing her communities yeah yeah um and then another story this week it's almost a year since david mcatee was killed and the National Guard still hasn't finished their investigation. Um, so it was supposed to be completed last summer, and they got a 30-day extension, but that was over 250 days ago. And the Kentucky Center for Investigative Reporting um, did a story on this and said that they filed an open records request back in December, and the National Guard's spokesperson um just responded on May 1st and said that because of everything we've had going on in the last year, the report is still in progress. So, um, great. yeah, that's a pretty slow investigation. And like, also we've all had a lot going on in the last year. So, um, not all of us like killed a guy, you know? So, you know, it is like kind of, I would kind of maybe understand this a little better if it was an investigation into like a botched, robbery arrest or something like that where something bad happened i mean that wouldn't be great either but this is really serious like the are the people that are paid to like protect people and and which have received a lot of really bad press we talked about that vice article last week um you know which made it was very scary in terms of like what it presented the national guard as doing like this is a serious issue and you need to do the report and people we need to face consequences and we need to understand what's going on here. And they're just like mm-hmm. shirking that responsibility. You know, so I, I hope that the executive branch or in the state government 
and all the people in charge of the National Guard make this a priority and get this done. But it seems very clear that that is not a priority for them right now. Yeah. Um, and then also today, leaders of the protest movement, movement such as Shamika Parrish Wright and members of Brianna Taylor's family held a press conference calling on Mayor Fisher and LMPD Chief Erica Shields to hold a community meeting. And then I just saw this before we recorded Paula McCraney, as well as two other Metro Council members, um, are calling for Erica Shields to testify at a council meeting about the decision, LMPD's decision to like place the barricades near the Kroger in the West End. Um, the the Kroger had to close really early because of Derby, and Kroger's elsewhere did not close early. Um, so it was clearly targeting the West End. And so members of Metro Council like want to speak to her about why that decision happened. So um, hopefully the mayor and LMPD will take those meetings and we'll see if, you know, anything comes out of them. Yeah, um, I think that's the right step, too, because like, you know, I read about this and it was just really weird. It was just very strange that they were shutting down this Kroger and they had the big orange dump trucks that they have in Louisville whenever they are like trying to block traffic. Um, and they were like in front of a Kroger that people might have needed to get to, to like buy groceries. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it was like, maybe this has an explanation. And if it does like give it to the Metro council, that's your job. Uh, so mm-hmm. looking forward to hearing what they have to say. Um, and then the last thing is that Bernie Sanders came to Louisville, um, to campaign for Charles Booker. And I wanted to note this because he also made a stop at Injustice Square and he spoke with protesters there. Um, I knew that this event was happening. It was a ticketed thing and I just didn't hear that much about it. But I I do think it's really nice that he went to Injustice Square with Charles Booker and talked to people there. Yeah, absolutely. My relationship with Bernie Sanders and being a fan of his goes back to like the early 2000s when I was like he was running for Senate for the first time. I think it was like 2006. Like this guy seems really cool. Um, you know, and it, uh, my people know I wasn't necessarily the biggest supporter of his during the, the primaries of the last couple of times around, but I still think he's a really good Senator. Uh, and I'm really glad that he came here and, you know, it is really cool that he went to speak to the people in Justice square. That needs to be a part of any time anybody comes to Kentucky as a national figure from the democratic party. I think that that, that should be just uh, the first thing that they do, one of the first mm-hmm. things they do. Uh, did you see the video of Bernie talking to Charles Booker's daughter and asking her if she knew who he was? Right. Yeah. She's like, what's this guy's name? And she goes, Dad. He says, you sure? And she says, Charles. <laughs> she cheesy. Though. I did see that. She's she's cute. I think she's cute on purpose, though. So, you know, you got to watch out for that. <laughs> yeah. She knows. She knows she's not going to be the youngest daughter for that much longer. So she's got to, you know, work it in. All right, Jasmine. Well, thank you for that update. Uh, Let's talk a little bit about COVID. Um, So COVID cases were slightly increased this week. That provides yet another week of evidence that Kentucky is in a stubborn plateau of cases. There are still eight red counties, but they're kind of more spread throughout the state now. So you've got like Hickman and Todd in western Kentucky. You've got Trimble in northern Kentucky. And then you've got Roberts and Lewis, Bath, Menifee, and Powell in eastern Kentucky. And these are all pretty small counties. So it's like one of those places where if you have like a small outbreak of like 10 to 20 people, it could make your rate like pretty jump pretty high. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that that's something to keep in mind when we're talking about these these red counties. There's also only about 50 orange counties right now. So the, a lot of people are in, are in yellow or, or green, and it seems like much more spread out, like the, the caseload is much more spread out around the, uh, uh, the state now. Louisville's case has actually ticked up to 859, which is the highest number in Jefferson County since early March, and this is after a week when cases dropped significantly. So, so Louisville's decline uh, actually continued after the states it ended. So, you know, the state, state went into a plateau, and it's kind of an up and down for, like, I guess about a month or six weeks for now. Louisville actually kept going down for quite a bit longer and then had an uptick and then a downtick and now another uptick. So it kind of feels like Louisville is now in that same sort of plateau uh, that the state as a whole is in. It just took us a little longer to get there. Lexington's cases remained at about the same exact level as the last two weeks. So it's slightly elevated from their low in early April. But, you know, it is worth noting that they're at a lower point than any other point since last summer. So, you know, Louisville and Lexington seem very stable. The state seems very stable at a certain level, uh, which is low. 
but not zero. Um, and that seems kind of where we're at. And I did want to check back in on a number we hadn't talked about in a couple weeks, and that's the hospital census number. Uh, the number that I saw on Monday was 378, which is exactly the same number that we shared on March 31st. So after like a very precipitous decline in, in our hospital census numbers, where we went from a very high number, we were dropping by like double digits, mid-double digits every week. Um, we have certainly stabilized at a little less than 400. And it seems like that's kind of where we're at. And in order to push that a little bit further down, we're going to have to have more people get vaccinated. And we'll talk about that. It's been a bit of a struggle lately with that as well. Yeah. Deaths have dropped quite a bit since a few weeks ago. Uh, the current seven-day moving average on COVID Act now is under 10, uh, which is a level that we hadn't actually seen since last October. So, like, if you think about the different places when we had surges, October was a time when things were pretty stable. Uh, if you remember, most of last year, we just had a slight increase over time, and then we hit the winter, and we just skyrocketed. And October was a time when things were pretty low. So, you know, that's that's good. Um, we're we're kind of stable there, and hopefully we continue to go down with deaths. Uh, I think it's impo- important to remember that reducing cases is super important, but the ultimate goal is to minimize deaths. So having the lowest rate since October is very good. And, and yeah, again, hopefully it stays there. Vaccine usage continues to plummet. Uh, Governor Bashir announced that Kentucky would move from using the state's own numbers for vaccines to the federal system. And Kentucky was actually the last state to do this. So, you know, I don't really have numbers to compare like week to week. But the last time I did see the state's numbers, which, again, wasn't a full week. So they had a little bit to catch up. It was like 20,000 last week, which is super low. That is not very good at all. We were seeing many weeks of more than 100,000 people getting vaccines. And now we're like a fifth of that. So that is that is just goes to show you it's really gone down. You know, Louisville dropped. Uh, wait. Yeah, Louisville dropped from, you know, last week we talked about that number of 12.9 thousand, which we said was super bad and a huge, huge drop off. And the week after that, we only had 7,300. So almost half of that number that we said was just abysmal. So, uh, you know, usage in Louisville has really, really gone down. Uh, And that's kind of just our new reality. About 40% of the state has at least a first shot and getting the other 60% to move is just going to be really difficult. Uh, That's just kind of where it is. Yeah, I honestly didn't think it would be 60%. I thought it would be flipped. I thought that it would probably be like 60 vaccinated and then trying to get the other 40 to come along. So it's been really surprising how quickly we've hit this point. Um, I was at Kroger the other day and they announced over the intercom, like we have vaccines right now. If anyone wants one. Yeah. Uh, so like, that's where we are. Yeah. yeah. So Jasmine, yeah. you know what, the way that I kind of conceptualized this was that it would be much more linear. I kind of felt like there was a group of people that were like really, really pumped to get the vaccine. Uh, and then maybe some people that are a little bit less pumped and then some people that were like a little bit less excited and then people that might have been a little, little hesitant, but were still open to it. People that were pretty hesitant and, you know, it was more linear. What has happened is that there seems to be about 40 percent of people that were just like, give it to me right now. I want it yesterday. And then it drops pretty far. We're still getting people getting taking the vaccine. We're still getting, you know, we only had 20,000. But the week before that, we had, you know. 30, 40,000, which is not a small number. 20,000 people in Kentucky probably don't do any one thing. Maybe go to the grocery store or something. You know, uh, getting 20,000 people on the same page to do anything is a big deal no matter when it is. So we do have people who are taking it. It's not zero. Um, but there are people out there who are willing to do it. It's just that they are a lot less excited than the people who were ready to go several weeks ago. So it just kind of fell off to a, a low number that's still not zero. So I think that we're going to grow gradually until we hit about like 60%, and then it will drop to very, very low. Uh, that's my expectation. Um, I think that there are some changes we could make. Um, they're doing some experimentations with uh, you know, mobile clinics, getting actually out to people, getting people, you know, making it just available, like you mentioned at Kroger, where you can just like get it right now and take it. Um, I think we will probably have to do some incentivizing. There are some issues with that, uh, maybe legally. And I think that that might make some people really angry. But, you know, I think that we need to get as many people to take this shot as possible. So I at least support it. So um, that's the next step there. In Kentucky, we are. Yeah, I think I mentioned this. but We are starting to shift tactics. Uh, You know, I I think it's going to take time to get that right. I mentioned, you know, the, the incentives, the mobile clinics. 
Uh, something to mention is that like it's low this week, but I think like we're trying new things. We don't know necessarily what works right. Uh, and maybe some of these strategies will be more successful than others. And we can focus in on the strategies that are working and we can actually start to see our number go back up. That's at least my hope. Uh, we will, we will see. All right. Uh, the Kentucky Derby happened last week, which you mentioned Jasmine. And even though there was a mask mandate, very few people seen on TV appeared to be complying with it. Uh, is that what you noticed as well? I did notice that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, at one point, Mayor Fisher was pictured without a mask on. Um, I think that, you know, <laughs> I, I feel like I'm pretty critical of Mayor Fisher. I don't think that this is totally fair. Um, there are lots and lots of pictures of him with a mask on. He was he had a mask on most of the time that I saw him on NBC. But there was at least one picture of him without his mask on, uh, which did not seem super great uh, and has definitely been something that has been passed around quite a bit. Well, this issue has really prompted many conservatives in Kentucky to push for the governor to relax a lot of restrictions. Uh, so far, the governor has balked at this, um, but uh, he did say that he was open to removing more restrictions before we hit that two and a half million uh, vaccinated people number that he had cited before. So, yeah, get your shot. If you've got your shot, continue to wear your mask. Uh, be safe. If you haven't been vaccinated, continue to remain socially distant. Continue to, uh, you know, wear, you know, be as careful as you possibly can be. And if you have been vaccinated, be smart as well. Um, these are highly, highly effective vaccines, um, but that doesn't mean we don't need to be careful. One of the things, Jasmine, I think is funny is people get mad about people cleaning things these days. Uh, you know, people are like, oh, you know, why are you cleaning the surfaces that doesn't actually kill COVID? I'm like, it does kill flu, so it's good to have things that are clean. Uh, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, you can try to prevent disease even if you're vaccinated against it. So, yeah, that's just something I think. Yeah, I want things clean. I want them to kill bacteria, even if it pro doesn't protect from COVID necessarily. It's, it's just good practice. Yeah, absolutely. And like, if I go to the grocery store, I'm going to wear my mask. I'm vaccinated against COVID, but I also, I mean, I just don't want to get sick. Like, it seems like a mm -hmm. good way to not get sick. And it's not that hard to wear a freaking mask. At least that's what I think. All right. Uh, we do have some quick hits I want to get to before we get out of here. Fancy Farm is coming back next year. Uh, this is the premier political event in Kentucky. It takes place every August, and it's coming back. Organizers have described the plan as a traditional picnic, so it's unclear to me whether there will be any COVID-19 protocols at all, which may potentially dampen Democratic attendance at the event. What do you think about Fancy Farm, Jasmine? How do you think it's going to go this year? Um, I think traditional picnic is probably what it's going to be <laughs> a lot of people unmasked um and, and, and you know i don't know where we'll be at this point by august or if there will even be a mask mandate or if we'll need masks or whatever um but yeah i think fancy farm will be back to normal but maybe less democrats yeah uh yeah we'll see all right, Louisville is on pace for another record year for homicides. Uh, through the first three days in April, there had been 59 homicides, putting the city slightly ahead of the record pace for murders that was set last year when there were 173. 2020 set that record by a lot. Previously, the record had been 120. So, you know, that's 173 to 120. Uh, that's like 50 more. Um, different groups blame different factors for the number of murders that happened in 2020. You know, and, and there's a lot of people that talk about a lot of different things. To me, I think that the closure of most of the community spaces around the city due to COVID-19 protocols is likely the biggest factor. Uh, but, you know, it's always really hard to parse out the reasons behind this. And it is just another very violent year here in Louisville, which is really scary and sad. Yeah, I mean, I, I could probably like do a, a whole show about like the factors for like violence and, and why it happens. And yeah, that it's probably more than a quick hit, but worth noting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and it all it is always interesting, Jasmine, whenever you, you're talking about this, how there's like micro and macro factors when it's like different specific reasons why, you know, who's, who's mad at who in the community and that kind of thing. But then like what's causing all of this from a macro level, of course, uh, mm -hmm. getting beyond it from like a societal standpoint. So, you know, there's a lot of that out there. You can find Jasmine and ask her questions if you want to, and she may or may not <laughs> tell you her thoughts. Uh, but it is, yeah, it's another very violent year here in Louisville and, 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 you know, hopefully we get a hold of it soon. 
Eric Kahn, who is somebody we haven't talked about in a long time, but he's an attorney who fled from Fightville uh, to Honduras after being accused of committing a huge amount of fraud against Social Security and then was caught when he started sending letters to members of the Kentucky media. Uh, he was back in the news this week. Jasmine, remember this story? <laughs> very well, yes. <laughs> All right, very good. They found him at a Pizza Hut. Yeah, a Pizza Hut in Honduras. Uh, <laughs> so a judge actually ordered that hundreds of small claims lawsuits that he filed and in many cases that he won be purged. Uh, the technical reason for this purge is that the Pike Circuit Court Judge Eddie Coleman ruled that Khan was ineligible to pursue these claims while he was ineligible to practice Social Security disability law, which is something that happened to him in the middle of the story where he like lost his ability to <laughs> to be a lawyer and he had to have like other people file these claims for him. Uh, and apparently he still continued to file things in small claims court, which I guess you can't do. Uh, and anyways, uh, the, the upshot of this is that hundreds of cons clients who received bills for hundreds of dollars and judgments against them in the legal record are now likely to be out from under that situation with at least this being cl- cleared off of their legal record. So that's pretty good. Yeah, mm-hmm. that guy did a lot of really bad things. Uh, it's His story is kind of goofy and crazy and it sounds like yeah. fun and exciting, but then the details are always tragic and bad. Um, a lot of people losing their benefits that they had depended upon that they probably deserved that he just cheated to get done and also then uh, you know filed claims against people who he had represented so not a good dude uh, Jasmine Senator Mitch McConnell was at the University of Louisville last week and was asked to comment uh, why he asked the education secretary not to include the New York Times's 1619 project in school related federal grant programs and his quote was there are a lot of exotic notions about what are the most important points in American history. I simply disagree with the notions that the New York Times laid out there that the year 1619 was one of those years, unquote. 1619, of course, was the year that the transatlantic slave trade began in what would become the United States. So I guess Mitch McConnell doesn't think that day it's important. So Yeah, he was also in the news today for saying that 100% of his focus is on like combating this administration. Um, so yeah, he's really just, he doesn't care anymore that he's just putting it all out there. Yeah. What he's about, you know, we obviously come from one perspective and, uh, it's worth recognizing that taking, making these statements and saying these things, like I'm always going to be opposed to Joe Biden. And I think that <laughs> the date that the transatlantic slave slave trade started isn't important. Um, are like red meat for the conservative base. Um, uh, so he depends on those mm-hmm. people and a lot of times they don't necessarily trust him very much. And, that is what you get when when you have a political system that's built uh, with one party needing the votes of those people. So that's that. Um, all right, last one. Woodhill Movies 10, which was my favorite movie theater in Lexington while I was a student at UK. It is going to be the new home of Relative Justice, a new courtroom show in the vein of Judge Judy or like Judge Joe Brown. Or I was looking up the names of shows like this, and apparently there's one called Hot Bench. So maybe you're a fan of hot bench. Jasmine, have you ever thought about giving up your legal career and becoming like a Judge Judy character? No. No. I had not, but I like I was a theater kid, so like I don't I don't know why I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, you know, I don't know if they have a host for relative justice. It may just be like an idea. Um I mean you're not that far from Lexington. Maybe you liked Woodhill <laughs> cinema like I did. I loved Woodhill. Four, they were like four dollar movies, and it wasn't even like a dollar theater. They were like the regular movies that was, were out. It was first run movies for four dollars. It was incredible. It was incredible. It was awesome. Uh, you know, nothing gold can stay. But you know, we can replace something that we lost with something good. And I think Jasmine, as uh, like a Judge Judy type character, is something that the world needs. Uh, so <laughs> maybe that will happen. Yeah, and I I know that you can be like this new show is going to have like people from Lexington in the audience. And I think they're even going to like pay people to be in the audience. So you might see me in the audience at least one yeah. day. Cause I would love to do that. They may, you may be in the audience. They may see you and be like, that's the lady we need as our judge. That's what's, that's what I'm hoping happens. All right. Anyways, let's get to our interview with Pamela Stevenson. Pamela Stevenson is a state representative first elected in 2020 to serve the people in the 43rd district in Louisville. The most recent General Assembly was her first in the state legislature, and she managed to have one of her bills passed, the first 
black person to do so since Republicans became the majority in 2017. So Representative Pamela Stevenson, welcome back to my old Kentucky podcast. Thank you. So happy to be here. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you. So the last time we spoke to you was April 2020, which was a very different time, suffice to say. So since then, yeah. you've won an election and served in your first legislative session, and not to mention, you know, coronavirus and uh, all the, the protests downtown and everything. So I, I would like for you to first tell us about the experience of serving in Frankfurt. Uh, was it about how you expected it to go, or were there parts that surprised you? Well, Robert, don't forget the part, not just the pandemic and the social injustice the weather acted up pretty bad, too. Yeah. The flood, <laughs> snow in April. We were dealing with a lot in 2020. <laughs> we sure were. Yeah. And still, and into 2021, absolutely. And in 2021, it's like, it's the year that won't stop. Yeah. Uh, but the the legislature, as a freshman, I was uh, part of the freshman class of 2021, and it was not what I thought it was going to be. It was more, I mean... It brings to mind the thought that you don't want to see how sausage is made. Mm. And I was very, very surprised that in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of social injustice, in the middle of weather that was just acting crazy, that the first 10 bills were about power. None of the bills were about feeding families, keeping them from being evicted, making sure they got their uh, unemployment insurance, or taking care of people until we could ride out this pandemic. Right. And you, when you say power, you don't mean like helping people whose power went out. You mean like you were <laughs> trying to, they're trying to mess with the governor and mess. Yeah. Well, it's only, I mean, it's, it's, they have 75 Republicans and 25 Democrats. That's enough to get anything done that you want to get done. Mm-hmm. And the first 10 bills were about limiting the powers of the governor and making sure that that power resided in one place. Yep. And that's problematic for me because Kentuckians are counting on us. And if you look at whether you're in rural Kentucky or urban Kentucky, we care about the same things. We don't want our children hungry. We want to have thriving families. We want our education system to work. And we also want our our animals not to be abused. Absolutely. Yeah, we actually hear that quite a bit. Uh, but yes, we we talked to a lot of legislators about getting bills passed. And I think we talked to you about that last time that you were on here. Like, what, what do you hope be able to do to kind of break the logjam or with Republicans to get something that you support across the finish line? And you were actually successful in doing that this year with HB 398, which is a bill that creates three new veterans offices. And, you know, Jasmine mentioned it at the top, but that was the first bill uh, passed by a black member of the Kentucky legislature since the Republicans took over in 2017. So tell us about that bill. What is that bill going to accomplish? And tell us about the experience of watching that actually go through the whole process and actually be signed by the governor into law. It was pretty thrilling. The uh, commissioner for the Kentucky Department of Veterans Affairs and his staff, we talked about what was needed. Like, why is it that homeless and veteran are in the same sentence? Why is it that people that serve this country don't have a place to live in their old age? So when we looked at that, what we discovered is that the way that it was organized didn't lend itself to providing those services. So that bill reorganizes it, authorizes it to uh, the department to hire more people and make sure that the issues we identify, women veterans, homeless veterans, have the the background and support to resolve those issues. And that's why that bill was so important. It was to allow them to do the work we know needs to be done in an effective way. Yeah, I I actually love hearing that because, you know, we talked to a lot of people about their ideas and a lot of people have really great ideas, but I love the idea of actually going to the experts. And asking the people who are running the Veterans Affairs, like, what do you need to get done? And working with those people to figure it out and finding a way to solve the problem. It sounds like it was a very collaborative issue. Uh, and it sounds like you guys did a great job of getting it done. Uh, but, you know, one of the things about it was it was incredibly popular. Uh, it didn't see any opposition in either chamber of the legislature. But, you know, you also sponsored a lot of other bills, likely that you also went through a lot of process in, in making sure that you're getting right, talking to experts and everything. But those would have taken much bigger steps, including several voting rights bills and, and other veterans bills that didn't really go anywhere. 
So as yeah. a freshman legislator, uh, what did you learn about trying to advocate for other bills that maybe didn't make it as far as a member in the minority party? It is a game of inches. It's just like uh, in, I like sports, so I'll use the analogy. It's like the two-minute drill. You might not ever get everything you want the first time out. And there, in fact, some bills have been filed many, many, many years and never get anywhere. I don't get as far as they need to get. So you've got to deal with the what's so. The what's so is the Republicans are in charge. They are, they, they are the majority. And the what's so is we have to find common ground that we're all interested in. And then work on those and not focus on where we differ. I think we've spent far too much time trying to resolve the areas where we differ. And I think we could get Kentucky from the bottom of the list. And we're on so many bottoms that we could, if we just worked in the areas where we agreed, we could move the state. So that's what I try to do. I also try to. Um, get to know people, like what they care about, what matters to them. I learned a lot about cows and horses. <laughs> I'm just like, okay, um, if you ask the question, you've got to listen uh, to what comes out of their mouth. And the other part is you've got to have a concern for all people. Like it is troublesome to me that in Eastern Kentucky, there are people that don't have portable water. In a country where we have we can put a man on the moon. I just firmly believe we can get water where we need to get it and we can end homelessness. We just haven't focused on it. Yeah. Now, I think that people, oh, I, was, I guess I'm supposed to pause a little bit. <laughs> well, no, that's, those are all very good answers. Uh, but I did kind of want to follow up with what you've been talking about there. Uh, and you talked about building relationships and you talk about focusing on places where you agree and you talk about understanding kind of what's up and that Republicans are kind of in charge. And in looking at a lot of the bills that you had sponsored uh, and all the stuff that you had kind of done, I kept noticing one name pop up a lot. And that was Bobby McCool, who is a yeah. Republican from Eastern Kentucky. And he sponsored, I mean, quite a few of your bills uh, as a co-sponsor, uh, even sometimes yeah. as the second sponsor. Uh, and, yeah. You know, I, I wonder, I, I, I figure you probably didn't know Bobby McCool before getting to the legislature. So what was it like, uh, you know, forming that relationship and getting him to sign on to so many bills? Like, uh, what, what was that process like? Well, first of all, Rep. McCool is a very nice man. You know, he's got things that he cares deeply about. And he was very generous with me. Once he checked me out and found out I was legit, he... <laughs> Uh, he said, if anything I can do to support you, I will do that. Some of the bills that he signed on, I was, I didn't know he had signed on them until later. He, he just went to look to see. And that's sort of the way government should work. It's like, oh, I don't think children should be hungry. Even though that bill is sponsored by a Republican, let me sign on to it. Oh, I don't think you should be pick, put people on the street after they've served 30 years in the prison. Even though it's uh, sponsored by a Republican, let me sign on to it. That's how this democracy was designed to work. And when you stray away from the design, that's when we bump into problems. And Rip McCool is a fine man that believes in that. And he does that. He holds his party's values, but he looks for what we can agree and we agree on and we do the work in the areas we agree on. So stepping back away from Frankfurt a little bit and talking about your district. So it's been quite a year in Louisville. When we last spoke to you, it was just two weeks after Breonna Taylor's killing. And this past year has seen a lot of direct action take place in Louisville with much of it in the 43rd district. So tell us what it's like taking the stories of the people in West Louisville to Frankfurt and how you've dealt with being one of the one of only two black women serving as legislators in Kentucky. Well, uh, you know, there was the, a lot of people that were counting on both Rep. Scott and myself and all the legislators to do what's good for Kentucky's families. And when you keep that in front of you, like, is this useful? Will this do good things for the families? 
then you get the right answer. If you're what's in front of you is, do I like that person? Will I vote for that bill because I like them? I don't like them. If what's in front of you is a Republican signed that uh, sponsored that bill, so I'm not going to sign on to it. If those type of ancillary things are your focus, you get a different result. But when your focus is doing what's good for your district, what's good for Kentucky, uh, we can make things happen. Now, my district is a very uh, I have both ends of the spectrum. I have uh, people in West Louisville and some of them are have economic are in the lower economic tier. And then I have out Brownsboro Road, people who are not in the lower economic tier. And when I put those together, I have to come up with a message that supports the basic human things without talking about somebody's mama. I don't need to talk about your mama to make you know that this policy is bad. But I can point out to you how it impacts the people where I live. Like I spoke with a legislator one time who in a committee meeting said something that I thought was racist and had a huge impact on my people. And after the meeting was over, I politely went up to him and and asked him the question, why did you say that? I was really curious. Like, how could you say you love God and then say that? And he explained it to me. We had a, a wonderful conversation. And I said, thank you. You answered my question. He said, no, 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 no. What do you think? Why did you see it differently? And so I shared with him why I was offended by what he said. And we, and, and we, after that, we, we had lots of conversations and that's where magic starts. Nothing can be resolved unless it's on the table and you're talking about it. And I'm not, and I'm like conversation to create something versus conversations that tell you how wrong, bad and ugly you are. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to know that those conversations are happening, but the 2021 legislative session saw Republicans make several attempts to bring their own bills forward to deal with racial issues in Louisville. And, you know, you've been willing to work with Republicans in a lot of their efforts. We've been talking about that today. Um, Why did you take that strategy this year? And, you know, at the end of the session, do you think that your efforts to work with them have made a difference other than, you know, conversations that you had? Oh, yeah. Uh, For example, they, I think mostly, there's some people that I would probably feed to the Barracudas. (laughs) 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 But for the most part, I really have um, a lot of respect for a lot of the members of the Republicans. And I also recognize that some of them are going to do what their party tells them to do, period. That's just the way that cookie crumbles. And that's the system we're in. Mm -hmm. But when they get a chance to do something, I found that they will do it. So, for example, I had a bill that uh, would allow homeless people to vote if they had a temporary address. It was a standalone bill that I sponsored. And the Republicans came to me, uh, Representative Decker. And she said, would you consider joining our bill? And I said, sure. So I filed an amendment for for, uh, homeless people to vote. And she accepted it on the floor as a friendly amendment. And it was passed. So now homeless people get to vote if they have an address at um, a temporary shelter. And, And so did she have to come to me and ask me that question? No. Did they have to include me as a friendly amendment? No. But we were able to have different conversations in between um, sessions talking about the things that matter to us. And that was one of them. And when she saw the opportunity to do something, she did. You know what that's called? It's called legislating. You're actually doing it. You're doing the you're doing the thing, uh, and, and that is kind of one of the, the one of the questions we wanted to end on here, which is to say, you know, you have been engaged in this work of working with Republicans and figuring out places where where you can get your priorities and the Democratic priorities kind of pushed forward and actually yes. get get into law. And Democrats have a lot of priorities that we've been working on for several years. I mean, you know, 
legalizing marijuana, uh, at least on the medical side, uh, getting sports gambling done, uh, more funding for things like education, water infrastructure, like you mentioned. These are all Democratic priorities, things that you've mentioned that we haven't made as much progress on as we need to. But, you know, as somebody who has actually had a bill passed, as somebody who's engaged in these conversations with Republicans on a regular basis, do you think that the Republicans are going to look to you uh, as like a Democrat who they can talk to about some of these issues moving forward? And do you think that any of these priorities have a chance at moving forward in the next couple of legislative sessions? Well, <clears throat> they have a, you know, my military background, it says to the victor goes the spoils. They have been victorious. They have 75 seats. So they're going to handle what they think is, is important for their people first, for their organization first. But we also have good leaders that are highly respected. Leader Jenkins, Leader Patton, and Leader Graham are highly respected. And they work enormous number of hours building these bridges so that we can accomplish the principles. Of, it's not even the principles of the Democratic Party. It's the principle of people. The, the principle of people. If we want people to thrive in the one life that they have, we, we particularly in 2020 and 2021, have to provide them with the opportunity when it's against all odds, like the pandemic, like social injustice. Like, you know, I saw, I made a mistake. I couldn't believe that somebody would kill somebody in front of somebody back in May the 26th. So I went to watch the video of George Floyd and I couldn't stop crying because in front of us, he squeezed the life out of that man for no reason other than he could. And that pointed to if he was willing to do that in front of cameras, what goes on when the cameras are off is incredibly more harsh. And so I can't get, I couldn't get the vision of that man, uh, George Floyd, out of my mind, begging for his life and begging for his mom and begging for him to, to let him breathe. And that vision is what sparked our our worldwide cry for, see, we told you this was happening and now you see it and now you want to believe us. This has been happening for years. And that's a lot for a community. I'm talking about both communities, those who believe in, in, in social injustice and those who don't. It's a lot for people to go through doing a lockdown pandemic where life is not usual or what you're used to anyway. So to say we could treat each other with a little kindness just so we can get through this would be an understatement. And part of treating for me, treating people with kindness is listening to what they have to say. And that includes my colleagues, all of them. And like I said, there's only a couple I feed to the Barracudas. <laughs> well, We'll have to ask you that off the record, probably. Um, but we certainly appreciate your voice in Frankfurt. So for the last question for that our listeners will hear, how can people get involved with you and with District 43? Well, here, here's what I said. I had a lady that uh, she emailed me and she wanted to know, why do you continually allow the Republicans to outvote you? <laughs> <laughs> and I only could say elections matter. And I will add to that engagement matters. 2021 is not mm -hmm. a year off. 2021 is the year to tool up, find something you can do and do it consistently. Everybody can do something. It doesn't necessarily have to be in District 43, whatever district you are. If you are hearing this, Find something to do and do that one thing so that the promise of America can be realized. And if you're not willing to do anything, then please don't talk about anything. Well, Representative Stevenson, it is always a joy to talk to you. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, 
guys. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> Anytime I'll be back. Uh, I love the way you take care of your, your, your guests and I love your show. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jasmine. Jasmine, how can people get a hold of us? They can find us on Twitter and Instagram at my old KY pod. They can like our Facebook page and listen to our podcast on the podcast app of their choice. We also have a newsletter that comes out on Friday mornings. You can subscribe to it at FordKY.com slash newsletters. And we have a Patreon page where you can support what we're doing for as little as a dollar a month. You can do that at Patreon.com slash my old Kentucky podcast. And last but not least, we are part of the Demcast network. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next week. <laughs>